Hey everyone, I'm Brendan Hill, and this is Forward Thinking, a podcast by Metagy. Each week, I talk to inspirational business owners, brands, and marketing experts to learn from their experiences on the front line and uncover what it takes to build a world-class business. And this week, we're actually in the presence of royalty because my very special guest has been called the LinkedIn Majesty. Her name is Sally Illenworth. So Sally is one of the leading LinkedIn media personalities and content marketers. Definitely check out her profile after this episode to see all of the lessons we talk about in action. Super impressive. Sally has over 14 million organic content views on LinkedIn last year. And we touch on many interesting stories, how she cooked Australia's largest ever pizza that resulted in some priceless PR and engaging content. There's actually 23 mentions of pizza in this episode, so you know it's going to be an extremely tasty episode. Other areas we touch on, why LinkedIn is the best platform for branding in 2020, how to start your content marketing strategy for your business, it's always tough getting started, how to create the perfect LinkedIn profiles. I've got some work to do on my profile as well. Getting the leads that actually convert on LinkedIn and how publishing one video each day on LinkedIn can actually increase your profile views by 2,000%. So please enjoy this tasty and super fun conversation with Sally Illenworth. Sally Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brendan. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I know. It's going to be really fun. I've got a lot of stuff to ask you, so let's dive straight in. Can you tell us how you first got involved in the world of marketing? Interesting story. So I think I've always had an interest in marketing. My career started in the food retail industry. Um, I did the sort of traditional, stereotypical, started working at a pizza shop when I was a teenager. And what ended up happening is that as my career grew and sort of accelerated in that industry, I was working within a franchise system, but I didn't like sort of the constraints of marketing within franchising. So I really took ownership of the personal story behind everything that I was doing in my career. So I always started to tell my story from when I started working. And Mm. in that sense, I was always marketing myself and my career progression. But then when I got, I suppose, more into the marketing space, it came about around sort of 20 months ago, and I was sort of interested in the whole social media landscape, what was going on. And as what most people are, which is like a passive consumer of content, I was just trying to understand exactly what was going on. I was like, like, how are people doing this and whatnot? Mm. So I sort of went over to the LinkedIn platform and I started producing video content uh, with no specific commercial objective. I just went straight in there, started producing it and started to see how not only the algorithms, but also the users and the consumers on the platform started to behave and respond. And I became very obsessed with trying to understand what makes people tick. Right. You know, like, why will they respond to this piece of content in that way? Why won't they respond to this one? Mm. Um, You know, what impact does copy have versus a video thumbnail and so forth? So I sort of just like fell in love with that and became obsessed with trying to understand the behavior behind content marketing. Mm. And it sort of evolved from there. Yeah, I definitely want to dive deeper on LinkedIn and content marketing, but I want to circle back to your pizza and franchising (laughs) days for a second, because there's some interesting statistics that I read. You were the youngest franchisee at age 18. You had Australia's furthest domestic pizza delivery at 350 kilometers. 
And the record for Australia's largest pizza, 11.4 metres. Can you please talk me through (laughs) all of that? So the first one, yes, I started my career with pizza and then, yeah, my career just progressed and accelerated within that franchise brand. Right. And then when they were ready to launch in the Northern Territory, so in Darwin, um, because I'd lived there when I was younger, they sort of, they contacted me and said, oh, you know, do you want to take that next step? You know, so leave corporate, whatever, become a franchisee, launch the brand up there. So I did that and I was 18 years old. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it was quite different <laughs> to what everyone else was doing. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of stress, you take on a lot of responsibility, a lot of financial pressure as well. But yeah, so I did that. And then in terms of the furthest pizza delivery, mm. that came about because I ended up having a combination of uh, corporate contracts with the Cross brand whilst I was still a franchisee and I had to do a business trip over to Perth and my mum had sort of not long relocated back to regional Western Australia, which was 350 kilometres outside of Perth. And Mm. she's like, oh, you know, Sal, I just miss your pizzas. Like I'd love to have a pizza. (laughs) And I'm all about capitalising on, you know, a PR opportunity, whatever. So I was like, okay. So I got some crust franchisees over there to open up their shop. When I arrived on a Saturday, got some pizzas cooked up. And then I recorded the journey of me delivering pizzas 350 kilometres. They weren't that great by the time I got there. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was that one. And then with the 11.4 metre um, longest cooked pizza in Australia, mm. that came about because I think I had only had the business open, my pizza business in Darwin for about, oh, it must have been three months or something. And the local radio station up there contacted me and they said, oh, we want someone to cook Australia's longest pizza. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. They're like, okay, we'll do it on Friday. And so I had like three days to prepare. What? And and like the shop, the business wasn't even 11 metres long. It was like this small little compact square. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, we can't even cook the pizza. Uh So anyway, that was a logistical nightmare. Mm. And so I ended up getting my shop fitter to come in. We reconfigured the ovens, the (laughs) conveyor belts to cook the other way so we could cook it out of the business into the car parking lot. Wow. Yeah, so it was a pretty cool experience. We wanted to make a Guinness World Record, but one, we couldn't because I don't think we were eligible, but two, because we didn't have the right, I suppose, auditing process on the day. But Mm. yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. Who, who, Who ate the pizza? Well, this is the thing, like 200 locals came down and wow. ate it. It took us a total of about three or four hours to make because we made it, you know, had the TV crew down there, all that mm. sort of stuff, make it. But it took three minutes for 11.4 metres worth of pizza to just go. Three minutes? Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it sounds like you've been, you know, on a content crusade for uh, most of your working life now. Yeah. So let's move back to LinkedIn. So... The listeners may not know, but we're in the presence of royalty. You're the LinkedIn Apparently. majesty. <laughs> uh, was that a title that was given to you or is that uh Yeah, so always people in the LinkedIn sphere, um, which from a content perspective is actually still very much in its infancy. You yeah. know, it's very immature as a content platform because um, mm. traditionally LinkedIn wasn't a content haven. Mm. It's probably really in the last 12 months that it's come to life and you're seeing more content on there and people are actually going to the LinkedIn platform to source content from independent contributors. But yeah, how that all came about is I suppose, particularly being, I suppose, one of the earlier people to really leverage LinkedIn video, especially in Australia, 
you know, people always going like, oh, you're the content queen, you know, the LinkedIn <laughs> queen and so forth. And then a friend of mine actually threw the word instead of queen, they're just like, yeah, LinkedIn majesty, that's it, <laughs> you know. So as a joke almost, I sort of really own that. But it's something mm. that's actually stuck with a lot of people, right? Like, yeah. and it's, so it's kind of cool. It's a little bit sort of, um, what's the word? Like, you know, it sort of blows your head up a little bit every now and then, (laughs) but it's more of a laugh than anything. So Yeah, I think you back it up though with the numbers. So you've got over 14 million organic Mm. content views in the last year and an average engagement rate of 2.76%. So there's some queen-worthy numbers right there. Yeah, I know. And it's been a long journey to get there and a massive learning experience. Um, Mm. But what's come from that, right, like is a massive opportunity to help other people do the same thing and unlock the potential, I suppose, of organic content reach on the LinkedIn platform. Mm. Um, Because unlike things like Facebook, which have become very sort of commercialised and whatnot, everyone knows you've got to pay to reach all of your followers now. LinkedIn still, like I said, in its infancy. So whether, you know, you are a small business or you're an entrepreneur, whatever the case may be, from an organic content reach perspective, LinkedIn's very opportunistic in that sense. And so by building those numbers myself, it positions me really well to show people, well, this is how I do it. And this is the exact strategy I put in Mm. place. These are all the mistakes I made, so don't do them. (laughs) And let's fast track the growth for you. Yeah, I know. It's great that you've actually done it and you've got all the battle scars. You've got all the lessons. So for early stage businesses listening today, Mm. where do they start? I think the biggest thing is, like, if you think about content, particularly on social media, and think about yourself as a consumer of content, what do you do when you traditionally go onto social media platforms? You sort of just scroll, right, passively. And if you're not yet creating content, typically you'll look at the content and if you're thinking about starting content, it feels overwhelming Mm. because generally speaking, you look at someone else's content, it feels polished, it feels great, and it feels so out of reach for you to do yourself. So what I usually tell people to start with is, particularly if you're a small business owner or maybe you're just starting a business, is audit your expertise and or your interests. So just get really clear and go, well, what do I already have in my possession? What do I know? What am I good at? And Mm. if I was to start marketing myself through content, what am I trying to achieve and how does that directly tie back to my business? So Mm. I have a framework where I always talk people through audit your expertise and then from each area of expertise, you have different key messages that you can deliver through different content assets to your target audience. And it's as simple as that, you know, and you get started with, you know, your mobile phone can do some pretty cool things. Yeah. So it's really cost effective and easy to start if you just Mm. break it down like that, you know. Yeah. And what about the actual profile? Because a lot of people struggle even with creating their LinkedIn profile. Do you have any tips around that? Yeah. So I think the three biggest things I always tell people with their LinkedIn profile, the three most important pieces of information on there, your profile photo, Mm. your headline on LinkedIn and your name. And the reason I say that is because, and I'm always tracking the data to show this to people, you know, LinkedIn's profiles, I suppose, from a configuration perspective, there are a lot of things you can fill on there, your experiences, your skills, so forth. But the biggest way you're going to be discovered on the LinkedIn platform is through the newsfeed by either producing your own content or engaging with someone else's. And particularly from a growth perspective, most of your growth is going to come by being discovered through the newsfeed, not through search appearances. And even in the case with search appearances, the same thinking applies because when someone comes across your profile In majority of the cases, all they see to start with is your profile photo, your Mm. name and your headline, right? So if you think about it with like a clickbait mentality, 
you need to really optimize those three key pieces of information. And obviously one's a visual asset to try and increase the chances of people actually clicking through to even look at your profile, which Mm -hmm. is a very strong and powerful touch point for people, sort of like a website. So I usually tell people they're the three things they need to optimize first. Their name, you know, it sounds quite basic. Oh, just put my name there. But you know, there's a lot of confusion, like, oh, do I include nicknames? Do I include emojis and so forth? Mm. I always try and tell people, like, just keep it basic yeah. because you want it to be clean so people remember it. I usually tell people as well, you know, to put the first initial of their middle name if they've got one there as well to differentiate themselves in case someone's got the exact same first and last name mm. as them. Interesting. Like an Amy Smith, right? Like yeah. <laughs> how many Amy Smiths are there? Yeah. And then with their headline, by default, you know, on LinkedIn, your headline will be your current job title that you set up in your experiences section. Right. So I always tell people to personalize that. You know, if you're a small business owner, if you're a CEO, if you're a business development manager, salesperson, whatever the case may be, how many people have that job title? So mm. personalize it and make it enticing. And then with your profile photo, I always say the three biggest things that should emit are trust, comfort, and personality. Mm. You want it to be inviting you know, I don't know if you've seen on LinkedIn, people have photos sometimes and it looks like they're just about to go in prison <laughs> and you look at it and you're just like, this is really off-putting as a viewer, mm. you know, like you want it to entice the viewer and, and make them feel welcome and comfortable to come through to yeah. your profile. Where do you draw the line though? Because some people have, for example, their Facebook photo or they're going, yeah. to, going to a concert sort of photo or the beach. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, being a professional platform, if you like, you want it to represent you at your best, right? I yeah. mean, if you're in the fitness game, there's no harm in having a photo on there of you and your mm. fitness gear, right? Like it's highly contextual to you and your business. Yeah. But I always say try and get as close to your face as possible because it's only mm. when you look at it on the platform, it's really small. Yeah. So, you know, people want to see your eyes and so forth to so try and avoid having your sunglasses is on, have it close up and no group photos, no Mm. I'm out drinking photos and you can tell and, you know, so yeah, be a little bit, I suppose, do yourself a favour and make sure that it's representing you at your best Mm. relative to the platform. And then in terms of attracting business opportunities through your profile, Mm. so we have, we've gone through your three steps, we have a nice profile photo, we have the headline filled out, we have our name, how do we get business opportunities. Yeah. So, you know, traditionally on LinkedIn, particularly before it became a massive content haven, you know, most of LinkedIn from a business growth perspective, all of the strategies are focused on outreach. You know, you send your sponsored emails and so forth. But what you're seeing more and more, and this isn't exclusive to LinkedIn, is that prospects you know, they want to connect with people. They want to connect with the people behind the profiles. So everything I focused on with my own profile and now that I help other people with is creating content assets Mm. to build brand on LinkedIn, emotionally connect with people and just increase general exposure as well as the likelihood of them actually getting inbound, I suppose, traffic. So it doesn't all have to be outbound, right? Mm. And through the process of doing that, and creating those content assets, you actually allow a lot of prospects. So, you know, for small businesses, for example, the prospects may be just leads. They've got a product and or service to sell, but people in the startup landscape, right? Maybe they're trying to attract investors. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a prospect view. You want to get in front of investors. So by creating those content assets, you actually allow the community to almost warm themselves and qualify themselves before they contact you Mm. because through content they can understand who you are, what you're all about, what you offer. So from that perspective, I mean, the cost to produce content seamlessly, I mean, you know, it doesn't cost that much, if at all anything other than time. You can do a lot from your mobile phone. Yeah. So from a business perspective, 
it's actually a really smart cost-effective strategy. And the reason I say content in terms of attracting the opportunities is because all of, for example, with my profile and other many other people's profiles is most of the growth comes through exposure from content and being discovered in the newsfeed, not search mm. results, yeah. which means you need to be contributing to the platform to achieve massive growth and really attract those opportunities and not passively exist on the platform, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like all of my, you know, whether it's profile views, all the metrics you can look at, profile views, follow account, uh, in-mails and so forth, at least 70% of that comes from the fact that I'm producing content. Wow. So that's where the opportunity really sits. Mm. And speaking of content, there's over 55,000 pieces of content published on LinkedIn every second. So how do we create, I guess, captivating and engaging pieces of content? Yeah. So with that, so the 50,000 pieces of content every minute, yeah, so that includes shared content as well. Right. So most people on LinkedIn share content, Mm. um, but, you know, they share someone else's post, whether it's a video or an article. And what happens when you share the content, which is what most people are doing, is it rewards the original publisher, not you sharing the content, you know? So how to stand out in that consistently is certainly key. Like you need to be consistently present in the feed because as with other platforms, momentum's really important. So one really good way to understand how you're building momentum and how you're maintaining it on LinkedIn when you're producing content, that is, is to monitor something, uh, the profile view metrics Because what you'll notice is that when you get started and start contributing, your profile views will start to go up because you're contributing, you're being discovered. And as you keep contributing, that'll keep going up. But as soon as you stop and you're no longer consistent with contributing on the platform, your profile views will go down. So it's a Mm. really good way to get a quick glimpse as to whether or not you're building that momentum or not through consistency. The other thing is I certainly focus on video and mm. downloadable PDFs, which have sort of recently been launched by LinkedIn. Right. So you can upload PDF documents that people can download. So they're probably the two hottest pieces, uh, types of content on LinkedIn at the moment that the algorithms are really favouring. Um, what you will notice, though, is that your content engagement rate, which is likes plus comments plus shares as a percentage of total views, is a lot higher for videos and lower for downloadable PDFs, but the reach, the organic reach for PDFs proportionately is a lot higher. Right. So there's two really creative ways and very different ways. You know, like if you Mm. video, everyone knows the future or the now really is video, right? Video and audio. And if you don't want to get on video, use things like downloadable PDFs because the algorithm, if you play to the algorithm's ego, give it the type of content it wants, as well as there's a lot of value in the content, then that's how you really stand out and consistently put content out. Yeah, awesome. Do you have any stories of people that you've worked with before and after? Mm. I mean, they've started off pretty average LinkedIn profile, they've taken your advice, and now they're crushing LinkedIn. Yeah, so there was one person I worked with in particular, and they've sort of dropped the ball now because that's the other thing, right? Like is particularly from a personal branding perspective. I work with a lot of people from a personal branding perspective and a lot of people don't have the stamina to keep it Mm. up. That's the hard thing, which plays on the consistency piece because if you don't have the stamina to keep up, Mm. then you can't expect the results to keep coming. And I worked with them. We set their profile up from scratch. They weren't even on LinkedIn. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then all we started producing, release team was one video per day and the stats were incredible. Yeah. You know, like you see, for example, their profile views go from zero to increase by 2,000% progressively. Wow. It, it just, it's amazing what mm. happens. 
And then in terms of inbound connection requests and so forth, fortunately, this person wasn't looking for a job or anything like that. Mm. But that was a really unique case in the sense that they started from literally zero. They weren't even on the platform before. So that was one of the best case studies I've ever had with working with someone because most people are already on there Mm. and they just simply need to level their game, really. They've already got the profile. They just need to fix it up. And that was the best case study I've ever had working with someone because it was literally from zero to hero. Um, And you're seeing people do it left, right and centre. Like it's happening every day. There's someone new coming out where they're being discovered as this new sensation on LinkedIn. Yeah. But what people don't appreciate is all the work that's going in behind closed doors, you know, to build Mm. that momentum and so forth. Um, But if you do it right, you have your profile set up and then you start producing content, Mm. you really see the results. And you touched on Stanima as well. So it's obviously hard to keep this kind of production level Mm. up. Do you have any stories or tips around how we can do this? Yeah. So particularly for small businesses, the biggest thing is when you're busy running a business, right? Like it's just another task you've got to do. And particularly if you don't have in-house social media people, you don't need that, right? Like if you plan it out. So I look at basic things like scheduling, but scheduling in your calendar, for example, we need to produce XYZ pieces of content and put them out because especially for a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs that I work with, the problem is they will start, but then they don't follow through. Then they feel discouraged by the whole process. And then they're like, oh, it just doesn't work. or I don't have the time or the energy. Mm. So, and this is more of a mindset thing than anything, is if you block out 30 minute chunks in your calendar to produce content, or it might be two hours a week to produce content for the next two weeks, it doesn't take that long. And then you schedule when that content needs to go out you have everything prepared, you've written all your copy and so forth. It allows you to just hold yourself to account and not feel overwhelmed by the process of doing it. Because Mm. particularly for a lot of, you know, small businesses traditionally, it's such a new area and there's a lot of overwhelm for people there. So I think the best place to start is just trying to eliminate that overwhelm and not overcomplicate what that actually is that you're doing. Mm. And what about tools? Are there any fantastic tools that you've come across that you use every day in social media? Not necessarily. Like there's a few apps I like. The biggest challenge I've actually had is finding a automatic subtitles or closed captioning app Mm. for myself because often I talk too quick. Right. Um, That's for myself personally. Um, But in terms of social media management, I'm a big fan of HubSpot. I also love MailChimp as well from a CRM perspective. In terms of free video apps that you can use, particularly for small business owners or entrepreneurs who are just getting started and they've got close to zero budget, there is a really good video app called InShot that you can use and you can put logos on it and all that sort of stuff. So that's a really cost-effective way for people to get started. And what's one thing that you wish you were more of an expert in in marketing at the moment? Interesting question. Actually, probably on the topic of AI, and I know this is probably of interest to you with what you do, but the reason I say AI is because recently actually I collaborated with a friend associate that I've done some work with on a white paper, which was totally out of my league, which was about 5G AI-enabled automation. Wow. And my only contribution was writing all the definitions for everything that was going to be discussed. And in the process of doing that, it was a very sort of far-fetched learning experience for me to actually produce that content to contribute to the white paper. But what I realised is that, you know, a lot of the things that I suppose impact our day-to-day interactions with technology we already used, 
you know, a lot of it is based around AI and so forth, like things like recommender systems and stuff like that. And then as I was doing this research for this paper, I realised, okay, well, a lot of these things are already being used in tech-based things that I interact with as a consumer. And it really fascinated me because I'm like, well, how is this going to impact the future of marketing, for example, particularly when it comes to content creation? And, you know, there's already a large range of, you know, services and products out there that are impacting that. So in that sense, I wish I knew right now more about what the future of that looks like, Mm. particularly when it comes to content marketing. Because I think that'll be a massive game changer. Like, for example, this company I'm speaking to and they have this AI automated editing software, like things like that, uh, you know, that's really going to drive the future of marketing Mm. and make things like content marketing, which is becoming more and more important for people, you know, particularly when you think about trying to produce content, both quality but also at scale, Mm. which is hard for a lot of people. So, yeah, AI when it comes to content, I think. Are you a big reader, Sally? Uh, I was a while ago, but mm. then in recent times, I haven't prioritised it as much. But I do, lo- I actually, interestingly enough, I like, I do a lot of video, for example, with my own personal brand of business. <laughs> yeah. But I actually prefer to read and write. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Take us through your video process. Like, um, I'm interested. I'm sure a lot of other people mm. are interested. It's a new area, especially on LinkedIn. Yeah. What does the process look like from beginning to end? So usually from a business perspective, there's the expertise element. Like what do I know that speaks to what I can help other people, businesses, individuals with? But then from, I suppose, more of a just macro personal branding perspective, there's also the interest component. So it's either an element of my expertise or my interest. And so what I'll start with is sort of the top line. Okay, well, what is my expertise? Is it LinkedIn video content creation? You know, is it copywriting? So forth. Or if it's an interest, it might be, okay, I'm interested in mindset and entrepreneurship. So I always start at that level and then I just break it down to a really micro perspective and go, okay, well, what's a key message I can put into a piece of content that someone will take away Mm. and usually through video. So it might be, for example, okay, you know, I'm interested in, you know, how people overcome challenges. Okay, what's a key message I want people to take away? What's one thing? So it's just a matter of breaking it down because I think, you know, like I said earlier, when we look at content, it's really easy to overcomplicate it. Yeah. But when you just start by looking at what you're interested in, what you know, that's where the magic really comes out and not trying to jam everything into a video. So, for example, Mm. in my articles, I will write a long-form article that, you know, from a video perspective has like 30 videos in it. Yeah. You know, so you can condense it all into one article when it's written Mm. um, because you wouldn't just produce, for example, blog posts, articles with one paragraph. But so if, for example, your preference is to write, write out articles, write out blog posts, and then you'll find that you could produce 30 different videos from one article, Yeah, you know, because you just take out the key messages and put those into micro pieces of video content. Mm. So that's usually how I go about it. It's try and take big topics, big thinking, and just digestible pieces of content. (laughs) Yeah, that's a strategy that we're using here at Manage as well, getting that pillar piece of content like this podcast, for example. And as you guys know, we get the podcast transcribed as well. So we have the full transcription underneath and then we might make, you know, three or four micro pieces of content out of that. So, I mean, the average sort of 30-minute podcast, 30 to 40-minute podcast that gets us somewhere between five and 7,000 words. So we definitely have a lot of material to play with. Yeah. 
And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. So who are some LinkedIn content marketing influencers that we should be following so we can check out, you know, what's working now in 2019? Yeah. Besides um, yourself, who yeah. will have your details in there? Oh, I'm a fan of so many people on there. Like yeah. there's some people that are really, yeah, changing the way LinkedIn video is done. Wow. Definitely one would be a girl named Shay Rowbottom. So she's over in the US. And the reason I think she's so fascinating at the moment is because on a platform like LinkedIn, which is traditionally highly professional and whatnot, she's taking this very interesting concept that you would expect to see on something like YouTube, you know, mm. where it's highly entertaining right. um, and not very business orientated, but yet there's still a lot of business or personal development value in her content. Mm. So Shay Robottom. Um, and then another one I would say, which is interesting, we're talking about this on a podcast, is a guy named Mark Metry, who's also in the US. And um, He's certainly not a big video guy in the sense that he's overly comfortable with it. Right. But he's focusing a lot on building his podcast and he's using LinkedIn, LinkedIn video, LinkedIn PDFs and so forth in a very interesting way to build his podcast Mm. um, and get some pretty amazing guests on there like Seth Godin and stuff like that. And uh, he's just going from strength to strength. So, you know, they both come from very different perspectives And I think they're both very good examples that, you know, in very different professions and they're just finding a really creative way in their own niche, in their own market Mm. to use LinkedIn content to grow their business and grow their presence. No, I'm definitely going to check him out and swipe some of his podcast building secrets. Yeah, go for it. So we'll put all of Sally's resources in the podcast show notes that you guys can find at metagy.com forward slash podcast. And I'm very excited now, Sally, you've made it through to the abstract question (laughs) section of the podcast. This is where we ask some of our most interesting questions, and I feel like you're going to have some fantastic responses. This is going to be fun. First question is, if you could have a billboard that all business owners could see, it could have text, visuals, video, whatever you want, where would you put it and what would it say? Wow, that is such a big question and that is very abstract. Mm. A billboard and where would I put it? This is probably going to sound bizarre, but I think I'd put the billboard. Oh, you can only have one billboard. You can't put it everywhere. I was going to say it'd have to go in everyone's bathroom. Right. Um, And the reason I say that is because, you know, I think there's probably from a marketing perspective especially, which Mm. is what a billboard speaks to, is, you know, people's bathrooms, like they're very private, but there's a lot of undercapitalized attention there, okay? (laughs) Uh, What I would have on it, that's a really interesting question. Wow, that's really hard. We can come back. Yeah. Yeah, let's come back to that one. So if you could give your 18-year-old self, you're back at the pizza shop in the Northern Territory, one piece of advice, what would it be? That... Don't over-catastrophize things in any given moment because I think, you know, particularly being 18, opening a business, um, you know, it's a lot of pressure and at the time things always feel worse than they actually are, you know, Mm. and anyone who's owns a business, started a business would know yourself in the startup landscape, right? Like it's a lot of stamina involved. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of endurance that's needed there. So, yeah, don't overthink things and don't over-catastrophize anything that happens, good or bad. So yeah. why did you start the business when you were 18? I think it was just sort of the next sort of evolutionary step in my career, if you like, at the mm. time. 
and I get bored very easy as well. Right. So like once I sort of become quite competent at something, whether it's in a certain position or doing a certain task or whatever, mm. I have to move on to the next thing and I have to learn something else. Right. Mm. Next abstract question. What algorithm do you identify with the most? And I think this is going to be an easy one for you. What algorithm? Could be the LinkedIn algorithm, the Amazon algorithm, yeah. Spotify. Yeah, identify with LinkedIn algorithm, <laughs> definitely. I was going to say, which one am I most fascinated in? Probably Facebook. Because mm. anytime I go onto any website and within seconds yeah. they know I'm on there and they're remarketing to me on Facebook <laughs> and it amazes me every single time. The speed. Yeah. Touching back on the LinkedIn algorithm, I know we talked about it briefly earlier. What other things have you found out about it in the last even three to six months? I mean, it's changing all the time. Yeah, yeah. And it's very difficult to pick what's going on with it. Right. I think they've definitely pulled back on the amount of organic reach they had when I got started with LinkedIn about 20 months ago. Right. Uh, It's still very strong. Don't get me wrong. I'm still very, very strong, but they've certainly pulled back on it. And I think what, yeah, probably the biggest thing I've come to realise, and this is where volume of content, especially if you want massive growth, is really important, is that after about 24 hours, the algorithm doesn't really care about the piece of content anymore. Wow. So you just need to get on with it and move on because, you know, sort of what happens is, you know, particularly if you put out a piece of content and it goes viral relative to the environment it's in or to your profile positioning and so forth, it can be easy to hang on to that. Mm. Um, But still after 24 hours, the momentum always drops off. So just keep going. Don't live in the past. And the other thing is you always treat every single piece of content in isolation. Like don't think that Mm. everyone's seen the video before this. So in terms of running series and stuff like that, you've got to treat each asset as its own. Right. Yeah. Some solid advice. Yeah. And the final question, Sally, are you ready for launch? For launch? Because you're on the first flight to Mars, Elon (laughs) Musk, and the first settlers (laughs) aboard the SpaceX Starship rocket. What business do you start when you land on Mars and how would you market it to the new Martians? I'd probably start, interestingly enough, a video production business. And how do I market it to the Martians? I would market it by probably showing them what I've achieved with my LinkedIn profile because then they Mm. can use video, video content production to market to people not on Mars to come Mm. to Mars. Yeah, good tourism campaign. Yeah. (laughs) I thought you were going to say some kind of pizza-related answer. Mars's biggest pizza. I do love pizza, though. (laughs) (laughs) Favourite type of pizza? Interestingly enough, it's sort of my own, like, yeah. Proprietary recipe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So cheese with, um, like, cheese on the base, tomato and garlic base with that Spanish chorizo. Oh, wow. And then some, like, sort of spicy peri-peri sauce on there is quite good. I love it. And buffalo mozzarella is always nice on a pizza. That does sound delicious. All of Sally's resources and pizza recipes can be found in the show notes (laughs) at metagy.com forward slash podcast. And Sally, thank you so much for coming in and all the value you've dropped to the audience today. Thank you for having me. No problem. Is there anything you'd like to say before we depart? And how can people get in touch? Uh, Best place to get in touch is either sallyillingworth.com or catch me in the comments on LinkedIn usually. Awesome. Thanks for coming in again. Thank you. From Metagy, this is the Forward Thinking Podcast. I hope you got a lot of value and actionable tips from today's episode. If you like what you heard, you can help us out by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. 
If you know a business owner who needs help with their marketing, and I mean, don't we all know one of those guys, tell them to check us out. Never miss another episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more about Metagy and get a listener-exclusive three-month free trial, visit us at metagy.com forward slash podcast. You can also view all of the resources and tools mentioned in this episode at metagy.com forward slash podcast. And while you're there, why not listen to some other episodes and join the world's leading community of forward-thinking marketers. I'm Brendan Hill, your first business connection, and I'll catch you next week for another award-winning episode of the Forward Thinking Podcast.